0: Torah commands us to observe three festivals, the seven days of Passover, the one day of Shavuot, which is 50 days after Passover, seven days of Sukkot, which is um, six months after Passover, followed by a one-day holiday immediately after Sukkot called Shmini Atzeret. So these are the three festivals of Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. That's in addition to two other holidays that we don't consider the festivals, um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. They're more serious holidays as opposed to the festive, joyous holidays of Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Outside of Israel, everything gets extended by one day. So Passover is eight days, Shavuot is two days, and then Shmini the day following Sukkot, also becomes two days, making the entire Sukkot holiday nine days. For Passover, the first two days are a Tov, a holiday that we do not work. The last two days are a Tov, a holiday we don't work, the four days in between are called Chol HaMoed, mundane Festival, they're part of the festival, but we're allowed to work, although one should better avoid it. Um, same as also Sukkot, the first two days are a holiday. The next five days are Chol Hamoed, mundane days that are still part of the festival. We're allowed to work, although we should avoid it. And then again, we have the final two days of a separate festival of Shmini Atzeret. But usually, when we speak of the three festivals, it's included within the festival of Sukkot. So we have three festivals: Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. The Torah commands us to rejoice. To be happy on these festivals, a number of times the Torah commands us that we should be happy and rejoice on these festivals, and we do this every holiday, every festival by getting together with our families. It's always been with our; it's we've always gotten together with our families, um, and we've had we have festive dinners. It's a family time when families, even if people are away or. You know, people are out of town. They come together. They they come back um, or um, come visit each other for the festivals. It's a family time. We get together with our families and have festive dinners on the nights of the Yom Tov. The Yom Tov again are the first two days of Passover, last two days of Passover, the two nights, the two days of Shavuot. First two days of Sukkot and the two days of Shmini Atzeret, also known as Simchat Torah. Um, So during those the yomtivs we have um, festive dinners, and then also the next day we have after services we do a festive lunch each day of the um, festivals. On Passover those dinners and lunches are done with matzah because we're not allowed to have any bread. All our food is without any chametz. On Sukkot, all those festive dinners and lunches are done inside the sukkah, where we eat on the festival of Sukkot. But they're all festive dinners and festive lunches. On Shavuot, we have a custom to have a dairy meal. There's various customs, whether to do it the first eve of Shavuot or the first day of Shavuot. Some actually have two lunches, a double lunch, on Shavuot, they have an early lunch where they have where they eat dairy and then they wait a little bit and have a second lunch where they have a regular meat festive meal. But one detail that's common to all holiday meals, at least in Ashkenazic communities, except for the dairy shavuot meal, is that Ashkenazic Jews tend to eat brisket. And even Sephardic Jews didn't necessarily eat brisket, but they would also eat red meat on Shavuot. And they do. Our question is why? So let's begin with a little background of the festivals. The Torah commands us that all Jewish males must visit the temple on each festival, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, we must there, the, during the, these three festivals, all Jewish males must visit the temple. When Israel entered the promised land, they built a temple first in Shiloh. Later, they built a temple in Jerusalem. When the first temple was destroyed, a couple decades later, they built a second temple. And all Jews from all over Israel would go to for Jer- Shiloh and then later Jerusalem for the festivals. And while the Torah only commands Jewish men to go, um, historically, we know generally they would go the whole family together because festivals is a family time. You're not going to leave the women behind. So the whole family would go together to, the fest- to Jerusalem for the festivals. It's described a number of times in um, our scriptures, in the books of our scriptures, about the pilgrimage when they would go up to the festivals for these, um, they would go up to Jerusalem or to Shiloh for the festivals. In fact the book of Samuel um, describes how Samuel's parents, his father Alkanah and his mother Hannah, would go up every festival for the pilgrimage. This is before Jerusalem This is before the temple in Jerusalem. They would go up for the pilgrimage to Shiloh and it was there that Hannah made her famous prayer where she prayed asking um, for a child and her child Samuel was born. The Torah tells us not to worry about non-Jews invading our towns and our villages when we go up to the temple because we leave them empty. Don't worry about it. God will protect our land for us while we were gone. So throughout the temple period for about 1200 years, while the various temples stood, Jews from all over in Israel and beyond would go to the temple, first in Shiloh, later in Jerusalem, for the, these three festivals of Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Any questions? So when they would come, they would bring, the, the Jews would come to Shiloh or to Jerusalem, they would bring various gifts and sacrifices that they would have to bring to the temple. That would be the occasion for them to go visit the temple. Other than that, they didn't have much reason to go to the temple. It was a journey. They would travel by foot, or perhaps by um, donkey or horse, but probably mostly by foot. It was a journey, and so they would do it three times a year for these three festivals, and so there were many gifts and sacrifices when the temple stood that Jews had to bring to the temple. And so they would bring all their sacrifices that they needed to bring. They would bring it at this time. For example, any woman that gives birth has to bring two birds as a sacrifice to the temple. This was their opportunity. Anyone who had transgressed one of 34 commandments for which one must bring a sin offering would have to bring their sin offering to the temple. This was their opportunity. Anyone who made a vow to offer a particular sacrifice to the temple and people would for thanksgiving appreciation to God um, or in asking God for help with something when they prayed to God, they would make vows to donate sacrifices to the temple. This was the time the festivals was the time to bring their sacrifices to the temple also, any farmer in Israel and most Jews at the time during this period were agrarian they were farmers that's what they did. They lived in villages and they were mostly farmers. So most Jews at the time um, when they when they were their produce would grow, they would have to separate. Teruma, which was a gift that was given, part of the produce had to be given to the Kohanim. Then they would separate tithes, which is 10% of the produce that was given to the Levite. And then they would take another 10% of the produce. And this 10% of the produce they would sell. And they would take the money from that 10%. And it was called the second tithe. And they had to bring that money to Jerusalem. And they would bring it with them when they went for the festivals. And they had to use this money to buy food to eat while in Jerusalem. They could only use it for food in Jerusalem. So when they went for the festivals, they would bring this money with them and they would use this money from the second tide, the Maas They would use it to purchase all the food in Jerusalem. The Torah commands that those who come to the temple first in Shiloh then in Jerusalem for the festivals must also bring holiday sacrifices when they come. They had to bring holiday sacrifices. And this is in addition to any sacrifice they were already bringing or any other gifts that they had to bring to the temple. They had to bring two holiday sacrifices, or two types of sacrifices, as many of they as they wished of either First, they had to bring what was called olot riiyah. Olot riiyah were burnt offerings. Some time ago, we did a class on the various types of sacrifices. Olot re'iyah were burnt offerings, essentially an animal that was offered and burned on the altar. They had to bring at least um, one such offering, um, and uh, they could bring as many as they wished as a gift to God. The second thing that they had to bring were shalmei chagiga. Shamei Chagiga were what's called peace offerings. This Chagiga, as it was called, could be, Chagiga Richly means festival, festive sacrifice. It could be a cow, sheep, or goat. It was brought to the temple where it was slaughtered. The fats were removed and burned on the altar. The chest and the thigh were given, the right thigh were given to the Kohen who served in the temple. And the rest of the animal was then taken back to their lodgings, wherever they were staying in Jerusalem. And they would cook the meat. And they would eat it with their family and their guests in Jerusalem for their holiday dinner or holiday lunch. They would have holiday meals. And they would eat these festive sacrifices. In fact, the Torah tells us that when they would purchase food with the sheni, with the second tithe money, they were forbidden. From purchasing, they could purchase any food they wanted, but they could not purchase meat unless it was sacrificial meat. They were only allowed to eat sacrificial meat while they were in Jerusalem for the festival. And so, presumably, there were no butchers in Jerusalem um, for the festivals because everybody would purchase their own animal, bring it to the temple, bring the sacrifice and they would use that meat, would be their festive meal, um, and everybody would eat that. They would have these festive meals with the meat of the sacrifice in Jerusalem. So we mentioned earlier that the Torah tells us that we are required to rejoice, to be happy on our festivals. Our sages say, how do we rejoice on the festivals? The joy of the festival came from eating the sacrificial meat of the Chagiga sacrifice. That was how we rejoiced on the festivals, by eating the sacrificial meat of the sacrifice and by drinking wine. Wine, of course, makes a person happy. Today, we can no longer rejoice with the Chagigah sacrifice because our temple has been destroyed now almost 2,000 years. We no longer go to Jerusalem for the festivals. We can no longer bring sacrifices in Jerusalem. Our sages say, though, that we can still rejoice today even without the sacrificial meat, though the Torah speaks of rejoicing with sacrificial meat. We can still rejoice today without the sacrificial meat, by drinking wine and eating red meat, like the meat of the sacrifices, on the festivals. And so we do that every festival. We drink wine. The wine we actually drink every Shabbat as well when we make the Kiddush. We make, we begin each Shabbat dinner by um, announcing or declaring the holiness of Shabbat, and in order to add, um, honor and add importance to that declaration. Our sages said we should do it while holding a cup of wine, which we drink right afterwards. Um, Every important um, declaration in Judaism, we use a cup of wine for. And so uh, we did a class previously about the Kiddush. So whenever we Begin our Shabbat dinner, we begin with the Kiddush, which means declaring holy, declaring Shabbat holy, and then drinking a cup of wine. We do that on every festival as well. We begin with a cup of wine, we begin with the Kiddush. The same is also when we do our festive lunches the next day, during the day. We also begin with the Kiddush by declaring the festival holy using a cup of wine. So we do that every um, Shabbat, we have that every festival, we also rejoice by eating red meat similar to the sacrificial meat that we ate during the temple period. Now, generally Jews did not eat red meat, because meat was simply because meat was very expensive. And they weren't all that wealthy. Especially kosher meat is more expensive because it has to go through the special koshering process, first with slaughter. And then um, kosher meat has to go through a process called nikur, where the sciatic nerve must be removed. We're forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve in an animal. And since the sciatic nerve winds its way um, through the lower back and legs, upper legs of the animal, um, much of the back of the animal, it's, it's quite a process to remove it. So as a result, Jews generally did not eat much red meat, historically. Um, and so for Shabbat, one is supposed to have a celebratory meal every Friday night, every Shabbat, Jews generally would eat chicken. That was the Jewish food, we would eat chicken every Friday night, very regularly. Here in the United States, we're used to eating meat. One of the things that um, you find a lot in history, historical records, when Europeans came to the United States, and this is going back 200 years even, one of the things they were all amazed by was that Americans eat meat daily. In Europe it was unheard of. They rarely ate meat. Here we eat meat daily. In fact, Americans tended to, I think less now than they used to, tended to eat meat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, I don't think it's as, now we know it's not as healthy. Um, But the Europeans were shocked by that because they rarely ate meat. Um, So, but Jews also rarely ate meat. It was expensive. It was hard to get. And so they would eat chicken usually for um, for Shabbat Um, during the week. Only if they were wealthy would they get chicken. Uh, regular people probably just had bread, maybe eggs and milk and, uh, for breakfast um, and bread, and that was, that was their food. Uh, but the uh, Shabbat, they would eat chicken. Um, it was plentiful. Everyone had chickens running around their house uh, back in the villages and the towns. Um, but meat was hard to come by, meat was very expensive, so they rarely ate meat. But for the festivals, anyone who could would purchase, try to purchase red meat to fulfill the mitzvah of rejoicing on the holidays. And so because part of the mitzvah is rejoicing by drinking wine and eating red meat. And so red meat, eating red meat became synonymous with Jewish holidays. Now to be clear, although the halacha, the law is that one should, if they can, eat red meat and drink wine on the holidays as part of the mitzvah of rejoicing on the holidays for somebody who is unable to eat red meat or drink wine because it's unhealthy for them, their doctor told them they have to keep away from cholesterol or alcohol for that matter um, uh, or they simply don't like it, they're not required to and uh, in Shochan Aruch and the Code of Jewish Law it points out that the purpose of the rule is in order to be happy If it doesn't make you happy, then you don't need it, then don't have it. But if you can eat red meat, you should eat red meat on the festivals. Uh, And most Jews historically did eat, even if they weren't very wealthy, they would save up for the Jewish festivals to be able to eat red meat and drink wine at these holiday meals. Yes, Carol? That's a very good question. On Shavuot we eat dairy, we're also supposed to eat red meat. There are various customs as to when to eat dairy on Shavuot. Some communities eat dairy the first eve of Shavuot, others would eat the first morning of Shavuot, in the, during the, mor- in the morning, kind of after service as a lunch or a brunch, they would eat dairy. Um, it does though mention that in Shulchan Aruch, the code of law, that dairy, one should also eat red meat as well. Um, Some would just eat red meat the second day of Shavuot, um, but it does mention that many, what most Jewish communities would do is they would have two lunches, an earlier lunch right off the services where they would eat dairy, they would wait a little bit, and then a couple hours later they would eat a late lunch where they would have a red meat meal, a meal with red meat. That's a very good question. We did a class about that some time back. After eating meat, we wait six hours until we eat dairy. But after eating dairy, we can rinse our mouths and we can't eat on the same table, but we could go elsewhere or change the tablecloth and we can eat meat, milk straight away. There's no waiting. Um, there is a custom based on... After eating meat, we wait six hours before eating dairy. After eating dairy, we do not need to wait until we eat meat. We do have to rinse our mouths, and we cannot eat it on the same table as we were eating meat. But we can eat immediately. There is a custom based on Kabbalah to wait an hour after eating dairy to eating meat, but it is not a requirement. But they did wait, whether they waited an hour or they didn't wait, but they would wait a little bit, you know, just to, you can't eat. There's a limit to how much you can eat. Um, Our sages warn us against what they called in Hebrew achilag gasa, overeating. Overeating is not healthy. So over time, Ashkenazic Jews tended to make brisket on the holiday. Why did they make brisket? So brisket is one of the cheapest cuts of red meat. So likely they chose brisket because it was cheap. Also, the bottom half of the animal has the sciatic nerve, which cannot be eaten and is difficult to remove. Now, there were Jewish butchers throughout history that were trained in removing the sciatic nerve. It was a process and difficult thing to do, but they would do it so that we had access to the bottom half of the animal, but in many communities, and this is especially done today when meat is produced commercially, and there's no commercial way to mass remove the sciatic nerve. Somebody still has to come out with an AI machine that can do it, but right now it doesn't exist. So um, historically, often the whole bottom of the animal was just sold to non-Jews, so to avoid the hassle of removing the sciatic nerve, so Jews generally ate only the top cuts of the meat, which really... Is just the rib, the shoulder, and the brisket, which is the bottom, just under the ribs. So that left very few pieces of meat. Um, But most likely, Jews did not, it wasn't necessarily brisket that Jews were eating on the holiday. They were, what more, what really became the, at least the Ashkenazic custom, was to have pot roast. And brisket makes the best pot roast. Um, and you could use, you could make pot roast with rib and shoulder as well, but brisket often makes the best. Um, why would they make pot roast on the holidays? So we don't have an official reason, but likely the reason is because pot roast cooks very slowly. You put it up in the morning, you wait a couple hours on a low flame, and it takes many hours to cook pot roast. Historically, The Jewish women, who were the ones that cooked in the kitchen, um, they made the festive meals. They generally did not go to shul on Shabbat. In fact, we have historical records showing even going back hundreds and hundreds of years, while all synagogues, just about all synagogues, had a women's section. Usually in Europe it was upstairs. They would have kind of the men downstairs and the women would be on a balcony upstairs. Um, Most, the women's sections were usually empty on Shabbat. And there would usually be a handful of older women that would go to shul on Shabbat. But younger women generally did not go to shul on Shabbat. Um, For whatever reason, it's not clear why, but they generally didn't do it. However, on the festivals, we know that the women did go to shul on Shabbat. In fact, one issue that was mentioned repeatedly in history was the overcrowding of the balconies on the festivals because they weren't made to hold that many women and all the women from town used to go to shul and there were often rickety stairs going up to the balconies, and there were often accidents with lots of people on those stairs, people falling down and pushing crowds down and all sorts of problems um, on these balconies going up to the shul on the festivals. But we do know from all these records that Jewish women did go, and in many communities we still see that today, where while there tends to be less women in shul on a regular Shabbat, the, on the festivals all the Jewish women go to shul. Why do they make an effort to go to Shul on Shabbat? One reason was simply practical. Because the women that had children were unable to carry on Shabbat. It's forbidden to carry outside of a fenced-off area. Now, many communities, historically, and most Jewish communities in the United States, although not here yet, have an Eruv, which, in other words, they fence off a whole area, a whole city or a whole neighborhood, and that way they're able to carry to Shul. However, many communities did not have eruv's, and the communities that did not have eruv's, the women were unable to go to shul on Shabbat because they could not carry the children, the the young children that were unable to walk themselves. On Yom Tov, on the festival, we cannot do most of the things that are forbidden on Shabbat. But one of those exceptions, two of those exceptions, they're allowed to cook on the festival, and we're allowed to carry in an non-fenced-off area. So because the women could carry the babies, they would be able to go to shul on Shabbat. Another reason why they made an effort to go to shul on the festival, sorry, is because um, on the festivals, the kohanim um, do the kohanic blessing, the priestly blessing. They stand up in front on the podium in front of all the people, and um, they put a talus over their heads, and they recite the priestly blessing, which we'll learn about well, we're not actually not going to. It's in next week's parasha. So everybody would come to hear the priestly blessing. All the women, the children, they want, everyone wanted to be there to hear that priestly blessing. So we assume that because the women wanted to go to shul and they were able to cook, they would cook on the festival. You're allowed to cook on the festivals. They would cook that morning for the festive lunch. And because they wanted to go to shul, the best thing to cook was a pot roast. Because pot roast, you put it up in the morning before you leave your house, and you come home from shul about noon or so, and it is ready, um, all ready to be eaten. So that's presumably the reason why the red meat comes from the mitzvah to rejoice on the festival and the continuation of the mitzvah to offer sacrifices and eat sacrificial meat on the festival. Uh, We don't have sacrificial meat, but we still have a mitzvah of red meat. But the brisket in particular came from the pot roast that simply cooked more slowly and probably was cheap as well. Our sages say that in addition to eating red meat and drinking wine, there are other ways that we are to rejoice for the festival. They say that we should buy new clothing for the festival. It's a mitzvah to buy new clothing for the festival. Um, Generally, that's when, especially today, everybody has dozens of pairs of shoes and everyone has dozens of changes of clothing. But back then, people rarely got new clothing. And so in Jewish communities, they would get new clothing before the festivals. Um, also, Also, our sages said that men should buy their wives gifts before the festivals. It's a mitzvah to buy your wife a gift before the festival. And they should also buy, parents should buy gifts for their children, toys or sweets uh, before the festival as well to add to the happiness and rejoicing on the festival. So being happy is important for our well-being. A person is healthier, healthier, when they're happy. It's important for people to be happy. It is not a mitzvah to be happy, but the Baal Shem Tov once said, while it is not a mitzvah to be happy, you cannot follow God's commandments without being happy. It's very important for our relationship with God. And that's because life is a battle. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of difficult moments. Somebody who is sad is not motivated and not energized, and is unable to overcome the challenges of life. Somebody who is happy is motivated, energized, and able to overcome the challenges of life. And therefore, a person should always try to be happy. Now, a person can and should be happy from a feeling of inner content, inner happiness. And... We all, and we all should be able to draw from inside of us a feeling of happiness, happiness with ourselves, content with ourselves, with our relationship with God, with the fact that God has given us a unique mission, an opportunity to make an impact in this world. That really should make us happy. We all also have many things in our lives that we should be happy for. Even when things go wrong, we often forget how many things are going right. One thing hurts you. Your little toe hurts you. It really hurts, and it, it's difficult. But you forget every other part of your body is working just fine. So, and if people have more serious medical problems, there's still many parts of them that is working fine. And if we have health, pro- if we have family problems, we still have friends, family whom we love, roof over our heads, food to eat. There's many things to be thankful for to make us happy. And yet everybody needs moments of happiness. We need moments of excitement. We need, it's not enough just to be continuously happy. We need extra moments that get us happy, get us excited, things to look forward to. And that is one of the reasons why God gave us these festivals and commanded us to be happy on them. They're not just spiritual moments, but these are time to bring happiness, happy moments, things to look forward to, things to get excited about. And that's why festivals are a time for family. It's a time when we're supposed to t- spend time with the family to help bring us joy. Hopefully, family brings us the greatest joy. But material pleasures also bring us joy. It's a very temporary joy. You get excited when you get something new, you get excited for a few minutes, and then after a few days, it's old. It's no longer exciting. It brings us temporary joy. You eat something delicious, it excites you for a few minutes, and then afterwards you have a stomachache, or it's gone regardless. But it brings you temporary joy. But material pleasures that bring us temporary joy are good because they help trigger the internal happiness. They help us get in the happy moment and the happy mood, which could then hopefully help us continue being happy and appreciative of um, what we have and so therefore God commanded us on these festivals on these festival festive moments to enjoy material happiness with gifts new clothing meat wine in order to help spark that internal happiness on the festivals and the truth is that we believe that God created everything for a purpose everything that God created is part of our mission part of our purpose for which he created us So God created us that we get excited from these little things, from a good plate of steak or name your thing, whatever gets you excited, from a good dessert perhaps, whatever it may be, food that gets you excited, from new clothing, from a new shiny car, from a new shiny gadget. We get excited from these small things. God made us that way. Why did God make it that we should get excited from these small things? Not that we should spend our life chasing one minor thing after the next. Clothing excites us, so we spend our whole life shopping. That was not the goal. Or food excites us, we spend our whole life eating, that we should get carried away from it, by it. But the goal is that we should, from time to time, or during special times, such as during festival times, we should enjoy these things in order for them to help trigger put us in a happy mood and help us trigger that inner happiness that we're supposed to always feel. So, yes, you enjoy eating red meat, you enjoy drinking wine, that's good. That, at certain times, don't do it too often, it's unhealthy. But you do it at certain times, it will help trigger that inner happiness and then hopefully make you happy over a long term and every once in a while we need to trigger ourselves again. Gifts, clothing, clothing other toys that we have that make us excited and make us happy are good. So long as we don't obsess with them, we remember their only goal is to help trigger a deeper happiness. And then once we have a deeper happiness, that will then make us a happier person as a result, a healthier and more successful person as well.